You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, brought to you by Web Profits, where we share inspiring stories of real people who've succeeded in the marketing and business world. Today, we interview Sunny Webster, Olympic weightlifter and founder of the Sunny Webster Academy, a premium online community for weightlifters, crossfitters, and fitness enthusiasts. After competing in the 2016 Rio Olympics, Sunny went on to grow his Instagram following to more than 200,000 followers and then leveraged that to grow a business he can run from anywhere in the world. We talk about failure, mindset, growing an online business, and how to produce content like a pro. So let's get into it. Boom. 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 Alex. Hey, Tony. How are you? I'm excited. Today, I'm excited. Today, we get to actually interview our first Olympian. Um, Sonny Webster. This guy I'm really, really excited about. He was a gold medal winner in 2011 um, in the Commonwealth Youth Championships. And then he went on and represented Great Britain in 2016 in the Rio Summer Olympics. Sonny Webster, how are you, mate? Very well. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, it's good to have you here, man. Now, this is the first time I've met you, mate. Alex knows you quite well. Um, You guys have got a bit of a connection there. So I'm going to enjoy getting to know this Instagram legend where you've got more followers than I think. You know, if the Dalai Lama had a following on Instagram, <laughs> it wouldn't even come close to you, all right? Does he, though? No. Have you checked? I don't know, but I I'm think check someone that. has to check this. Fact <laughs> yeah. check, Adrian, please. Can you put like a little thing at the bottom yeah. if it does? <laughs> no, mate, thank you so much for coming on board. And, and you were um, in, in the 2016 Rio Olympics, and it's amazing. You don't get to speak to many Olympians, and you've actually achieved that. So I'd love to know, what was your journey as an athlete going to the Olympics? Yeah, so I mean, for me, going right back, I guess my first memory of the Olympic Games was being in it as a kid, sat in maths class, and uh, the PE teacher come running into the class and said, look, Sonny, you're going to have to, sorry, not to me, to the teacher, said, we're going to have to stop the class for a minute. We need to turn the TV on, because there's only one TV in the school. And all the doors slid open and the rest of the kids come in that were in my school. This was in Reading um, in the UK. And uh, they flicked the TV on right at the point where David Beckham and Kelly Holmes were jumping up and down, hugging each other. And I was like, what's this? What's this about? And it was just as London had won the bid to host the 2012 Olympic Games. And at the time, like as a kid, I didn't really... Uh, know much about what the Olympics was, but seeing the excitement, the expression on these guys' faces, I was like, whatever that is, I want to be a part of it. (laughs) And I was always a a keen golfer as a kid. Uh, My dad was massively into golf. I've still got videos of me as a kid down the driving range trying to hit balls when I'm about five years old. My dad's screaming at me, Sonny, it's not straight, it's not right. So I've always been into sport. But um, like I said, after that time at school where we found out what the Olympics was, I tried lots of different sports, athletic sports, and I was kind of, as a kid, one of those guys that was good at everything, but not great at anything. You know, I wasn't an expert at anything. And um, we ended up moving from where that school was in Reading down in down to Devon, and naturally moving school, not knowing anyone. Uh, I used to be a bit of a loner, so naturally at lunchtime, I used to go and sit at, in the weightlifting gym and watch people do weightlifting. And after about two weeks of being sat there watching these kids give weightlifting a go, I got to know a few of them and I started to take the mickey out of them a little bit and be a bit of distraction, I guess, in the class. And uh, the teacher came up to me after two weeks and said, look, Sonny, you've been here two weeks now taking the piss out of these kids giving it a go. Why don't you ever come a go yourself? And I was like, nah, nah, it's not really for me, miss. I'm a, I'm a weightlifter. I'm a, sorry, I'm a golfer. 
And uh, she said, right, you got detention now tomorrow lunchtime. You've got to come have a go. So I was like, damn it. <laughs> like two weeks in school, I had my first detention. So the following lunchtime, I went along and purely because I'd sat and watched weightlifting done wrong and done right for two weeks, I had a pretty good idea of what I needed to do. And uh, I ended up beating everyone on my first day. And like I said, I don't think it was from being like naturally talented at it. I think it was purely from sitting and watching what I needed to do. And after the first session, the coach turned around to me and said, look, Sonny, uh, you got detention now every lunchtime until you want to be here. And, and that was how <laughs> wow. I spent the rest of my lunchtimes in school. Yep, yep. Were you a big kid or a little kid? I was 44 kilos when I started weightlifting. I'm now 94. So yeah, I guess I was a smaller kid, short yep. and chubby. Oh, really? So they go, you know, as a, and then you started doing it. When did you actually fall in love with the sport? Um, um, I guess it's the thing that's great about Olympic weightlifting is you never complete it. You never win. There's always another kilo to put on the bar. And for me, what I love about the sport of weightlifting is it is very individual. And I've always been an individual sports person myself. For me, if you lose, you lose yourself. You've got no one else to blame. And likewise, if you win. And what I love about that type of sport is in terms of what you get out is what you put in. And the harder you work, the harder, you know, the better your results will be. And I love that because there was definitely times when I played rugby as a kid where, you know, I wanted to get up at 5am and go to school and train for two hours before school. Other kids didn't. I wanted to spend every lunchtime at, at school practicing my weightlifting instead of kicking the football around the, the playground. Other kids didn't. And that enabled me to really be as dedicated as I want to, to achieve what I wanted to do. So I guess you fell in, I fell in love with it very quickly. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, it sounds like you were a bit of a troublemaker. It sounds like you were just sitting there, just causing a bit of trouble at the sides there until yeah. they pulled you in, huh? Yeah, I was definitely, um, I guess, to put, put in a better way, inquisitive as a kid. And um, I always questioned authority and, you know, always wanted to have a deeper understanding of why I was doing something and what I was doing it for. And after about, I guess, to the first sort of two to four months of competing, I got called up to represent um, Great Britain. So very early on into my Wait, career. Wait a second, how long? After about two to four months, I was competing my first national championships and then was called up to I, I, I like how you say this so casually. Yeah, in the <laughs> first two to four months, you know, uh, I get a phone call, Great Britain goes, hey, you know what, Sonny, we've been watching you, mate, for the last month or so, maybe a week, three days, mate, you're good enough, you're in. Well, that is amazing. Can I just say that is, like, you've got kids that have been training all their lives, just like when you start off golf and you start off early. Mate, and you're there. Yeah, well, I mean, weightlifting, it is a very small sport and it was even smaller when, when I first started. So there wasn't a massive pool, but I went to these competitions and, you know, um, it was great for me because, like I said, I wasn't a very outgoing kid. I was quite shy. And all of a sudden within this school, I was going to these competitions. I was the national champion, the British record holder. And it really boosted my confidence. And if anything, I was got a little bit cocky. And I uh, was then selected to go to my first uh, international championships, which was in Pavia in Italy. And I loved that opportunity that I was going to be able to travel with my sport. And I went there. I thought, yeah, I'm going to win this one too. Like, no problem. Rocked up. I made all my lifts. I broke the British records. 
and I finished 22nd out of 23 people. <laughs> what? A bit of you a yeah. broke all the records yeah, and you still and finished, finished 22nd. Yeah, and you know, for me, that was one of the best things that happened to me early on in my career because it made me realize very quickly that it wasn't about being the best in the country or being the best in, you know, your gym if you were going to be able to compete on that most like most elite level yeah yeah and that was very grounding for me and I definitely went away from that competition starting to think right now I need to work a lot harder than the rest of these guys it's not about just you know casually going through this being better than the rest of the guys in the gym and that was definitely a turning point for me in realizing how hard I needed to work if I was going to get to the Olympic Games yeah, yeah I think there's sorry. A, sorry yes so I think there's a, like a difference between uh well it's so important kind of like who you compare yourself to, right? Because that really pushes you so much further. You know, yesterday I was having a chat with someone and um, he's the best person in his company for sales. I'm like, um, that's cool. Um, but are you the best in the world yet? Because like, like he started to relax a bit. He's like, oh, like I'm pretty much done now because I'm the best like in the company. I'm like, how good your company, first of all, if you've been doing it for like a year and he's the best. So yeah. like I was all about, you know, trying to find the people to compare yourself to. And I think it's such a cool thing that like at such an early age, you're yeah. like, wow, I'm the best in Britain, but I'm the worst in the, worst in in the, the world. world. Yeah. Sorry, second, the second last. <laughs> second yeah, last. well, I missed it out there. The only reason why I wasn't last is because the other guy bombed out. So he didn't even make a total. Oh, okay, cool. How old are you at this stage? Um, so I would have been about 15 years old at this day. No, I would have been younger than that, 13. Yep. Yeah, about 13 years old at this point. So you go in there and you, you come, was it 26th? 22nd. 22nd, sorry. <laughs> sorry, 22nd. You're a 15-year-old. Your ego was pretty healthy at that point prior to going into this com uh, competition. You think you're going to mm. win, you're going to absolutely smash it. And then you go in there and, and you just get your bum handed to you on a platter, yeah. right? How do you crawl out of that? Who was around you? Um, what, what went through you? Because you could have quit at 15. You, you were. Yeah. Like well, the best in, in Britain. I think for me, I was definitely inspired by being able to travel and see other parts of the world. And that was like, right, I want to I do that again. I want another go. Right. And one thing I really noticed was when I, because you'd go, for, go away for a week, you'd compete one day, the rest of the time you were training, going in the training halls. And I'd been to like five or six of these internationals now, done that and sat in the training halls and watched other people train that were kicking my ass all the time and going, hang on a minute, I'm not doing what they're doing or I'm not doing that exercise or I'm not squatting as much as they are. And I went back to my coach and I said, look, this, these guys are kicking my ass. I'm not doing the same as them. Yep. Why? And the coach was a teacher, like I said at the time, and didn't really like me questioning the authority. <laughs> and we ended up falling out. Yeah. And that was then a very big sort of point in my career where it was like, that was the easy point to give up if I was going to, because yeah. there was very few coaches that knew weight of thing and could teach it. And the next nearest place that I could go to train at an elite club was almost three hour drive away. I was 15 years old. So mm -hmm. that was out the question. So I was coming up to 15 years old now, end of year six, and it was like college, what am I going to do studying wise? And um, I ended up finding, I said to my dad, look, dad, I want to move to Bristol to go and work with this weightlifting coach and continue with my weightlifting. And my dad was like, hang on a minute, son. <laughs> you know, you're not going to just move up to, to Bristol and do weightlifting. So I went away for a couple of weeks and uh, went on the computer and then ended up finding this uh, golf academy in, in Bristol. So I was like, you know what, dad, you know, I'll 
want to go to don't forget about the weightlifting stuff I want to go to Bristol to do the golf academy <laughs> he knows his story now right yeah <laughs> and uh, he was like um, oh okay then well you can go and spend six months up there see how you get on and then we'll see where it goes from there so off I went 15 years old and moved up to to Bristol to work with this next coach and, and study alongside um, my lifting but I think for me as an academic I was I never liked to study too hard and I did what I needed to do to get through yeah and I very much played the system I knew that if I did certain subjects I'd get more points that would get me into the right college and I knew if I did this subject it was easy I'd get the most points to get into that university so it was kind of like a bit of a game that allowed me to continue to continue with my weightlifting career really and so so this is now of course age 15 16 15 16 yeah and then when did you go to the olympics like what age uh 22 22 so so what was the part in between if we can have a condensed a version condensed of that version. story you know yeah. i mean i'm sure there was like a lot of mm. hard work and probably some struggles in there yeah you know? definitely so for me uh, i after that time i moved and managed to stay in bristol uh, i missed out on the 2012 i uh, Missed out on the 2012 Olympics by one kilo, oh. which was, you know, heartbreaking for me. But I was only 18 at the time. Um, again, it was a, an amazing le- learning point for me because one thing I noticed that I would train nine, nine times a week, two, three hours a day. And I knew that no one was working harder than me in, in the gym. But, you know, I never really believed in psychology or having that speaking to someone would actually be able to, you know, help me improve I was very much in my approach with everything that I've always done it's definitely something that I've learned in business that no I can do this by myself and you know I don't need anyone's help and uh, cut long story short I guess I missed out on that time at the 2012 Olympics I went to see a psychologist started chatting to them and it was really nice having an objective view or someone to look in from the outside because you know we know as like you know, with business, you don't see things that are happening so close around you sometimes because it's so close to you. Someone else looks in, spots the most simplest thing. You're like, why didn't I see that? Because you're on top of it. And this guy pointed out some very key things. He was like, imagine you're training like a spider's web and each segment of the spider's web is an element of your performance. And he said, so obviously that segment that's, you know, with your training is full. You can't train any harder. You're training nine times a week. Great. He said, imagine the other segments, recovery. Imagine the other segments, sleep, nutrition. All these other areas outside of purely what I was doing in the gym that I wasn't focusing on, I wasn't spending enough time on. And that really was like a wow moment for me because I was like, I had such a short period between that point and my next major competition, which was the Commonwealth Games, that I was like, right. I started focusing on these areas and I made massive improvements without working any harder in the gym. And I was like, this is great. And after the disappointment of missing out on 2012, I ended up qualifying then for the Commonwealth Games in 2014. And that was like the next best thing to the Olympics. Like, and it was amazing. I went there and I ended up finishing fifth. And again, I was so excited and happy with that. But I came away from that competition. I was like, why did you just go there to just be there? Mm. I had I didn't tell myself that I was good enough to win a medal I just kind of resigned to the fact I was always used to get my ass kicked so it was like 20 seconds 20 seconds. and I was never really bothered about winning but I didn't go into that competition with the right approach because 
Had I truly believed that I could have won a medal then, I would have. But I didn't believe it. Right, that's that's fascinating, that. Yeah, and that was a massive change in, again, in my psychology. Constantly learning from even, you know, um, what seems like these victories or good days, um, I was still learning. And I think that's definitely something that I've learned throughout my life is, you know, my, my favorite saying is the, the biggest lessons you learn are when, when you lose. Because when things are going well and when you have great days in the office, you go out, you celebrate, um, you have a good day in the gym, you go out and you're like, yeah, that was great. And you go and have a party. Whereas when you have a bad day, you go, shit, you sit down, you go, where'd that go wrong? Why wasn't I good today? Mm -hmm. But you don't do that the same way when you have a good day, which is the most important thing. Because if you want to replicate that good day, you need to know why it happened. And it's not always easy to explain it, but it was definitely something that from then on, I started being conscious about what was causing me to perform well, what was causing me to be bad. And um, I then went on to qualify for the 2016 Olympics. And it was quite a funny story because throughout my career, I've had points in um, my life, like weightlifting wasn't a well-funded sport. And um, it was very hard to, you know, stay sufficient living whilst training for a sport that you don't get paid for. You get very little recognition. And where my gym was in Bristol was a really rough, um, deprived area called St. Paul's. And I used to train this old church. And uh, like I said, I was living off around 200 pounds, 250 pounds a month, or $500 a month at the time. And it wasn't easy. And I walked into the car park of this gym one day and there was this brand new white Porsche 911 Turbo S parked in the car park. And I was like, hang on a minute. This looks completely out of place. Like, what's it doing in this <laughs> shitty gym? And I uh, walked in, I said to my coach who's in reception, I said, Andy, whose car's that in the car park? And he goes, oh, his name's Jeff. He's in the main gym. And the gym was a, a room like this, big gym. And it was in like all tall ceilings. And I just opened the door, 16 years old, and shouted, who's Jeff? And uh, Jeff was on the other end of the room doing bench press. And he sat up and he goes, I'm Jeff. Um, you know, what do you want? First thing I said to him was, fancy sponsoring me? <laughs> and uh, he looked at me a little funny for a minute. And he goes, well, how much is it going to cost? And... Uh, I was like, well, I'm living off like 250 pound a month and, you know, I need to stay in a couple more months in Bristol to try and qualify for the Olympics. So I was like, well, you know, um, call it 500, 500 pounds. And then I was like, well, let's ask him for 600 and I'll get some new trainers. Like, <laughs> so sure enough, I said 600 pounds and he goes, um, looks at me a bit funny. He goes, what a month. And my jaw hit the floor, bearing in mind I've been living off less than half of that. I went, yeah, okay then. Oh, so uh, you were saying like, just like- A one-off, one I just off. needed to yeah. stay to try and get to the Olympics. And then before you knew it, it and now it's a couple hours later, he came out and goes, what's your bank details, lad? And uh, the money went into my account. And that enabled to fund me then going forward to be able to train full time. Wow, that's amazing. And how long did that last for? Do you know what? Jeff stuck by me and you know, Jeff for me, he's like my older brother now and he's yeah. been a massive guidance for me, not only in life, but in business as well. Um, Jeff, would, when he was younger, used to race uh, BMX as a kid and his parents never had enough money to send him to America to turn professional. So he ended up quitting what he was doing and setting up a telecoms company and now he's a multimillionaire. And he saw me in a similar situation, had a dream of, you know, going to the Olympic Games, but never had the financial backing, the support that I needed to achieve that goal. And he was in a position to help. So he did. And what Jeff an awesome continued man. to support me 
all the way up to the Olympic Games and then flew out to watch me compete in 2016. That so he's been a massive so cool. part of my journey for sure. That, that would have been an instant connection between you and Jeff straight away since you heard your story. So I'm imagining just like in Australia, BMX racing isn't that well funded. It's not even heard of. GMA. Exactly. There was a lot of things that were likened together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. So that was pretty lucky. You know, and so you weren't shy yeah. for asking. Like I mean, no. that's pretty confident for someone to go out there. Like, and we'll get to um to maybe how that affects kind of the success on Instagram because you're pretty successful on Instagram. But we'll get back to that soon. But you don't seem yeah. to have much. Well, like it's a certain kind of person that will kind of smash open a door and go, "Who's Jeff?" Yeah, <laughs> fancy sponsoring me. But you do you know? know what? I had had so many points in my life and I'd written so many letters up to that point asking for support, asking for sponsorship and getting told no so much that you become desensitized to rejection and hearing the words no, that it was like, okay, I'll try again. And I think that was a massive point of it because in my mind then, the worst thing you would have said was no. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. So you're also getting fed up as well. Do you, you get a point like, man, stuff, this guy's got a Porsche? I'm about here with my angle. I guess stuff I'm going to ask. I don't care. He's going to say yes or no. And it's going to be one of the two. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you, you're desensitized to it. So for me, it was like the worst scenario was no. And I've never been asked, been afraid from that point to ask because that's it. If you don't ask, you don't get. And the worst thing someone's going to say is no. And if you're happy of getting rejected as a no, then fine. Yep. You know? Yeah. We've had a conversation on this podcast before about that exact thing. You know, how most people are just scared to ask because they're scared of rejection. Yeah. But- the biggest things like in, I guess, life are really hard, which is going to have a lot of struggle and a lot of rejection. So you're going to kind of have to get comfortable with yeah, hearing, with hearing no, no. for sure. And so I guess, is there any advice which you would give to people who are kind of scared to start that journey? Because I remember the first time I started, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't want to ask for stuff because if I say no, like I'm going to be rejected and that's like death. But like, is yeah. there anything which you think or like, is it just... A timing thing. Yeah, is it no, I think thing? it's. What yeah, it? I think it definitely is a is a passion thing. I I had a I had an end goal that I needed to get to, and I was going to do that. And it didn't matter how many times I needed to pinball to get there. It was it. And I think the I guess my biggest bit of advice with that is accepting rejection, getting good at being told no, and understanding that that is just. It's another traffic cone to go around. It's another obstacle. And then you go again. And I think for, for me, it's, it's taking that first step and, you know, getting used to receiving no of simple things, writing letters. I used to not get replies. And that was kind of your first thing to not getting a no. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so. complete ignorance. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, hello, can I please get a no at least? You know. Yeah, so I think yeah, you definitely you definitely get used to it for sure, and it was definitely a big part of I guess me getting to the Olympic Games was not accepting that that no and problem solving. Yeah, I think that's um, it's a common. Uh, there's a couple of common things that I see like amongst all like on entrepreneurs and successful people is that they have gotten comfortable like in hearing the word no um, and uh, they've gone through a lot of struggle and they've had to kind of overcome that and I think that's kind of combined you know what I mean so and the third one is that they're all kind of rebellious they always ask why Mm. why this thing and why not that way and why are you telling me what to do and what you know, that's. I think if you're really going to believe in something and being able to, you know, replicate it, you've got to know the why. You've got to have the understanding of, of to why you're doing something to really believe in it with, with whatever you do. And 
you know, that's definitely a massive part of it for sure. I, I love it that you were a kid and you actually, um, you first got introduced to the Olympic Games as a child watching David Beckham and <laughs> jumping around and you're going, you didn't even know what that was, but you go, that's what I'm going to do and you achieve it. Oh. So when you actually became an Olympian, did that come as a surprise to you or, or did you feel like you belonged in that arena? Um, I think it's, it's such a difficult thing to describe in words because I've very much just brushed over that journey from A to B. There was points in my career where I was told that if I continue to weight lift, I was going to be in a wheelchair. You know, I had a whole year off training where I couldn't lift at all because of my back. And there was points where, you know, there was no funding, there was no support. So it's, it's and difficult from mum and dad too, because dad's going, go pick up a golf stick. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, my well, look at Tiger Woods, right? <laughs> it's like, you can be the next tiger. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a point of belonging. It was what I needed to do and achieve and qualifying for the Olympics and, and being there. I sat and watched the opening ceremony of the Olympic games three times every time I'm thinking one day that's going to be me, one day that's going to be me. And then to walk out and it be you, it's a real like, uh, you know, it gives me goosebumps now to still reflect on it because it's everything I dreamed of and wanted to achieve. And I remember walking out onto the platform and weightlifting is a very masculine, aggressive sport in nature. And I was stood there being called out, Sonny Webster, Team GB, the what I always wanted to hear, the Olympic Games. And I stood on that platform and I was so close to crying. And it was such a weird emotion to experience that moment because it was like all the good bits and all the bad bits throughout my whole career flashed in front of my eyes, all those obstacles that we've talked about, and it was all worth it. And every part of that journey was, was a lesson and it was what made me want to be there and made me get there and yeah it was all worth it in the end and you know I did feel like I'd earned my right to to represent the country and to be there for sure. Bloody OTD mate you put in such a hard effort from what you've just told me so then you go on you finish the Olympic Games and now you're a business owner. Yeah, you're well. actually giving back, which is <laughs> awesome. Now, have you have you used the same strategies, same mindset, and drive to dr- drive your successful business now? Definitely, I've always had like a, a business mind in me. I mean, right back from when I was, I guess, fourteen years old to so just before I moved out. Um, like I said, I was a keen golfer, and my dad wouldn't keep buying me all these golf clubs. So um, what I used to do is wait hold on a second. Your dad wanted you to play golf. Yeah. And never invested into you. Well, once, yeah. but was going to take all the credit for it. Well, he wanted to. He was definitely <laughs> involved in the in the golf, and I don't know. I think I took with with that. I took my approach to my sport very single mindedly and sort of got on with it. But I, when I was younger, I used to buy and sell golf clubs on eBay. That was my first business. Really? So I started to always was always browsing eBay, looking at these golf clubs, and I'd see one that I knew was that was going for a cheaper price than what it was actually worth. So I'd buy it or I'd see someone post the photo of a golf club, but they'd marketed it terribly. The photos were dark. They were grainy. The packaging was shit. So I used to buy it at the cheap price, take it back to my house, use the good camera that I had and the good lighting and the good boxes from the golf shop at the, that I used to play at and repackage it and sell it on for 20 bucks more or 20 pound more. <laughs> and I started to, 
uh, collect up this money and I, I end up spending nearly four thousand dollars on a on a golf set that I'd saved up from twenty pound. Wow, that's amazing! And that was my first business, and then. When it comes to, you know, after my career, I guess, there was always going to be a point of, like, how the hell do I make money out of weightlifting? You work so hard to get to the Olympics, right? You Mm -hmm. get there. Like, you almost cry at the opening ceremony. Like, that all passes. And so now you've you've been working your whole life to this point. And then that point that you achieve it, which is fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people who don't achieve it. But... That's something which has been achieved by you now, right? Yeah. Now, what do you do? Like, that's, that's like it must have been a challenge to figure out, of course, what's next. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do yeah. you say, well, that's what I want to do next? Or, you know what I mean? Or, you know, like that it's, psychology yeah. behind it. I think it's still, it's still scary now. I think, you know, during my time um, growing up around, around Jeff and having him support me, he showed me a lifestyle and a life that, I wanted as well. And, you know, he helped me get a car. He helped me get all these things up while I was weightlifting. And I never wanted to go backwards. And after that point of competing at the Olympic Games, I came back from it and I was like, yeah, it was a real down point, really, from the biggest high to your lowest very quickly. And I was, I really lost my love with the sport. Uh, I didn't really feel like training. You come back from something like that it's all wow well it's happening then afterwards no one cares and (laughs) (laughs) they don't it's sad to hear that well it's on tv it's the best thing ever and as soon as it's done and on your journey to that point anyone that's cared about you anyone that's important you haven't got time for Mm. because you're so dedicated to your goal and i pushed everyone else my family my friends closest people to me away from me while i needed to achieve that because there was no way anything was being prioritized ahead of my sport. And it's a very lonely time after that. And it was only through after, um, I guess, about three months of partying, having fun after the Olympics. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to have burgers now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That I was like, you know what? What am I going to do now? And my friend invited me, owned a gym. And he said, Sonny, would you mind coming down to deliver a seminar to teach these people how to weightlift? Mm. And this whole time while I was, you know, before the Olympics or during qualifying for the Olympics, I was also studying at university. Um, I studied degree in sports performance of Olympic weightlifting. And um, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess I can coach. And I went along and delivered this seminar and talked about my journey to the Olympics and then gave these people these technical cues and got paid at the end. And I thought, oh, this is good. And then, you know, more gyms started to say, Sonny, we come do seminars. And that became quite popular to the point where I spent the first two years just staying within the UK, delivering weightlifting seminars on the weekend, one day events. And, you know, I was making sort of like $4,000 uh, a weekend. And this was great because I was only like, you know, 22 and it was good. And then... I was like, after a while, I was like, right, I'm going to travel and start doing these um, seminars internationally. And this was all through with the building of the Instagram that was enabling me to go to all these places to deliver these seminars. And um, that was kind of where business sort of was spurred for me. I set up my business and then was delivering these seminars. And that was before I even went online. So just because there's a few parts in that story which I think we need to get into yeah for sure <laughs> when um, and just for the people that are listening 
Um, so I met you about, what was it, a year, eight months ago, seven, yeah. six, six months ago? Six months ago. I'm not yeah. good with time. Uh, about yeah. six months ago, it feels like yeah. much longer. Um, at the time, you had 160,000 people following you on Instagram. Yeah. Today, it's 221,000. So mm-hmm. that's gone up a lot. Yeah. But when did that start? Like, was that the same time as kind of the first seminar or was that after a first so few seminars? Because obviously, like, there's a lot of people trying to make Instagram work yeah. still, right? But obviously, like, um, it's happened a lot for you and it's continuing to grow. And yeah. the thing I know about you as well is that the followers are actual followers. But, 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 I mean, how did it start? You know, like, what was the timing behind it? Yeah, so I guess, well, to give you an idea, the Olympic Games, I had 6,000 followers when I qualified for the Olympics. After the Olympic Games, I had about 12,000 followers. And then that's it, all. Yeah. So the Olympics only gave you six thousand. Only followers. gave me six thousand. Weightlifting. No one cares about weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess I've I've had social media since like two thousand and I must have Instagram around two thousand and what well, say eight. Um, so I've been always. I started with Twitter, I guess, and then went on to Instagram as everyone does, and was using Facebook, and I was posting just training videos, and I was quite consistent. And you know that would be my first massive tip with anyone um, that's listening, that's trying to grow their Instagram, is consistency. Uh, it's so important on so many levels. But I was consistently posting and putting up my training stuff. I then dabbled in YouTube a little bit and was posting longer format content of just training, not necessarily educational based stuff. And then one of the biggest things for me that made the biggest jumps was collaborating. So I would go out of my way to go and coach these people on Instagram that had a load more followers than me. So I'd say, look, let's meet up. I'll come to you. I'll teach you how to do Olympic weightlifting and then we'll make a video and then, you know, you post it. And that started to gain exposure for for me and what I could do coaching wise. And then more and more people started to watch me. And then I continued to do that with other people and the growth came in. That kind of adds credibility to you without doing anything. Yeah. Just by association. You know, even though that you know I might have thought I was the best coach in the world, I could have been the worst. <laughs> but people were starting to follow me because he said, she said, he said he was good. Yeah. He's hanging out with him, so he must be good. And that was one of the biggest things I think to get the the growth, and then it definitely becomes a snowball point from that. Yeah, right. And so you heard so, from, so after the the Olympics, you got twelve thousand followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do your first training that was basically on the weekend. Was that from Instagram or was that just a person who you knew that said, "Hey, yeah, uh, that was no, that was just run? a person that I knew." Yeah. Okay, and the second, third, fourth, fifth, like were they all people as well? That, that started you knew? to then come through Instagram because people were. I was um, showing on my Instagram that I was doing these seminars. People were going, "Well, I want to do that in my gym. Can you come do my gym?" So yeah, it definitely became from that, and the the popularity grew through what people saw I was delivering on Instagram, and I'd make a massive point of showing that this was that person when they came to the seminar this is them hitting a pb and people go well i want to hit a pb so they want to come and then they create the demand and i had very little competition at the time i think you still do not have that much competition right no there's probably you can count on one hand the people that are doing the seminars that that i do and so that was straight after the olympics right and that's expanded over the last what was that Three years ago now? Well, yeah, I think I might have even done my first seminar maybe even before the Olympics, but with a with a friend. So. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, over the, yeah, the majority of me doing them on my own and being a figure of 
doing them globally yeah over the last yeah couple of years two three years so so uh, so what are some of the tips to people um who want to grow their instagram profiles and i know that um you spoke about something before but like, like if there were yeah three four five six things i mean those are things that people are trying yeah well i mean it's so different now and so much harder because of, for some of the reasons that i'll talk about in a moment but i'd say um for me consistency consistently posting um being genuine with your content and being unique so many people try to copy other people's content because they're doing well and people don't want to see the same thing and one thing that i did to create clickbaity stuff that was going to go viral to get a lot of views was i do like circus i call it circus lifting but i'd lift stupid weight super heavy and people would be like i've never seen that done with a barbell and it would get shared it would get liked so Although that wasn't going to necessarily add any value other than entertainment to the person that was watching it, that became my in. So I'd say with whatever those of you that are listening do for business, for work, you need to think about a way of making your content clickbaity viral, even if it's nothing to do with what you want to sell someone. So I'll do them the circus thing that gets them into my page and then they go, oh, actually this guy goes knows lots of stuff about actual weightlifting and technical stuff they watch some of my more sensible stuff that yet it doesn't get the same interaction and the same viewing as the stupid stuff was but then they get sold to on the back end so for me that was kind of like the best way to draw people in i'd say getting the clickbaity viral unique stuff um i think everything nowadays that you put up on instagram it has to be high res it has to be good resolution you can't get away from you know hiring a, a videographer it it pays although it's that initial outlay uh, it took me a long time to realize that you know spending a few hundred pounds a month on getting high quality videos and getting it edited it it pays in the long run Absolutely. I've got to say, let's just put this in perspective, Sonny. I did have a look at your Instagram stuff and I've seen uh, some <laughs> of your posts and I've got to say your circus stuff is absolutely amazing. You get these, I don't know how much weight you've got on there, but you've got these barbell on you. Like, it looks like you've got like 120 kilos at least. It's on your chest and you pop it up in the air, you grab it and you flick it over your head then yeah. you catch it like that. And I'm thinking, then there's no hands and then there's like a monster drink with no yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing because no one else was doing it. That was my way of gaining, making the sport I guess a little bit fun and a little bit sexier and that was the thing with weightlifting it's and I suppose for a lot of people listening as well what you might do work-wise might not be sexy and it might not be the funnest thing weightlifting stereotypically you think guy coming out in lycra a big sweaty or ogre yep. lifts <laughs> a huge weight you can't comprehend from the and Ukraine. then yeah and from the Ukraine or from the Middle East doesn't okay. speak English and they walk off and you're like just cool well and there's nothing to relate to but what you've got is you've got quite a good formula because you've got a you've got a background of being an olympian mm -hmm. right uh, you've turned the shy kid that used to go on detention because they didn't want to hang out and, and do weights at first come up and become more confident mm -hmm. but now what you've also realized is i'm going to be entertaining i'm going to have some credibility behind me but then you've got some substance as well behind you where you've actually got the formula you've got the science of how to do this how to get a pb now claiming that you're going to get a pb because what i like about your your post i actually watched it through when i first watched it and i'll be honest i go who's this clown but it, you were intriguing enough to go i'm going to keep on watching and by the end of the clip you learned something i learned something and i actually went to your website yeah i clicked on through how do you do that because that there's an art in that well, straight away well yeah and it's definitely something that i've played around with and then gone back to 
I always put like a clickbaity video at the start of the video. So it'll be me doing something silly or putting loads of weights on and people go, oh, that looks heavy, just to get them interested. And then I go on to teaching them something interesting. So um, that was my way of making, you know, weightlifting a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting, but then selling to them afterwards or not selling to them, but offering value in the post. Well, so. it's an instant invite because you actually, uh, on your website, correct me if I'm wrong, you go to a landing page where you get to sign up um, on the email database, but you also give away some stuff for free, whereas that first session or something. Yeah, well, you get a seven-day free trial with, with my academy, but that you know that's something that I've thought about and played with a little bit as well from a friend of mine who runs a very successful online academy, similar. Um, he had a free trial. I thought, okay, well, I'm confident in my product and what I've got on there people will improve from. They do, but the thing that I've noticed is notoriously weightlifters are stingy and don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, there's people jumping on, stealing the stuff and then not paying for it. And I think you're going to get an element of that with but what whatever you do. But what that really for yeah. business, you know, with, at the end of the day? Well, you're probably quite high in weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, for me, I've always worried about that because when I first started, so the first online product that, I sold and I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I had this PDF document that had um, my training on and it was six weeks long. And I sort of played on the fact CrossFit's my biggest market and that's who, who I sell to because they've got more money. It's a much greater, bigger audience and... It's huge. It, it, globally, it's huge. you got F45, yeah. you got CrossFit and all that. And that yeah, that's just so I sort of tapped form. into that market and I first of all had the, a six-week strength program that was ideal for CrossFitters to do at the end of the Open. They've sucked at the barbell work during the Open. And I'm, I can help you now mm. follow this six-week training program. So my sales process was this. So they would send me a direct message if they wanted to um, get the program. They'd send me their email address. I'd then receive their email address. I'd send them email one, which would be explaining the product. If they want the product, they send me a, back a second email. Then if they if I get that email, I then send them another email that goes, right, you need to send the payment to this PayPal account. And then once you've sent the payment, send me a screenshot back and then I'll email you the PDF. That was my process. <laughs> and I must I was like, you know, in my in my first this is sort pretty of pretty cool though, you know. It was so stupid, but I made like maybe thirty thousand pounds and I was like I was do, like processing two, 300 emails a day, pretty much by myself, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> like, and it was, you know, it was How terrible. How until you found like, a shopping cart? <laughs> I like didn't know any of this. <laughs> I did not know anything. I knew PayPal and I knew how to send a PDF. It was- I'm gonna so question everything, but I'm not gonna question <laughs> screenshotting reply. That's gold. <laughs> Screenshot PayPal, everything. Like that was my confirmation because that yeah. was a quicker process yeah, yeah. than me going in, check the payment landed. Yeah. The, um, so that's what I did. And then I, I, before actually, so I did that for quite a while and I was had this PDF document that I sold. And then this guy approached me that I was actually getting free food off. He was sending me my meal prep food. And he said, oh, I've got a friend that, you know, you should maybe speak to. He does click funnels and, you know, he, he, I've seen your, your, the way you do your, sell your program and I think he can help you. And I was like, you know what, it, it won't hurt to have a conversation. And that's something that I've always done. And I think we're sometimes scared to think because of the loss of the time to engage with people that could potentially help us, you know, oh, 
whatever he's just trying to sell me something but you know I thought I'll give anyone five ten minutes to see what you could say and he said look Sonny I've seen your program online I think it can help you we use this thing called click funnel I was like what the fuck's click funnel <laughs> and he said look just give me give me a like a couple hours and I'll send you an email and he sent me an email to a click funnel where he'd put he just send me a few photos and a bit of text and he sent me this sales page, landing page of like you know increase your lifts enter your email address here and then it was like all this information I was like wow that's awesome and then he was like yeah and it just just automates everything and I was like what like so I don't have to do the email <laughs> thing he goes no no it just it takes the payment that sends the program off I was like, wow. And he's like, so have you got an email list? And I was like, no. And I was like, and do you know what? I had a a lady called Susanna Cole that was big into a property I used to PT um, at the time. And she was like almost like my my mum, if you like. She's a very successful um, property developer in the UK. And she would constantly bash onto me, Sonny, you need to start collecting these people's email addresses. And I was like, oh, but it's too much hassle. What's 20 email addresses going to do? And now I look back on it and think how many people to that point that I'd coached face to face that put it probably easily given me a further 40 pounds after that day. And I think, you know, had I'd had an email list, I probably would have made another hundred thousand by now, but lesson learned, Mm -hmm. didn't have an email address. So I was like, no, I don't have an email database. So he created me then a page in which I could capture email addresses. And then, so then I was armed with my click funnel that was selling my strength program. And then I was armed with the email database. And he said, look, I'm just going to let you run with this for three months. I don't want paying a penny. Go away and see how much you make. And I tripled the amount of money that I was making in the first couple of months. I said, mate, this is amazing. I had all this extra hours. I didn't have to do anything. It was easy. So we were just working for free. And he goes, great. So then he was like, we'll build a portal. So then we had the login portal and then started hosting more programs and different things. And it's kind of gone from there. And I've developed more and more different styles of programs and stuff. And this is all through ClickFunnels still, right? All through ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels, just FYI, like if you're listening out there, it's about a hundred bucks a month American. <laughs> it just does all of it, you know? Like I think there's a lot of people out there who like think, oh. Need a website know, or. Like a website, I got to pay a developer, I got to do all these things. ClickFunnels will do it. There's a bit of playing around with it, but. It looks pretty sexy if, you know, someone knows what they're doing that's putting together. And it's definitely like there's so many people out there with huge followings and that could make be making so much money if they realized they didn't need an app and they just needed someone that knew how to click funnels and knew how to run ads, it is ridiculous. And I was overwhelmed really with, you know, from making a few thousand pounds a month to what I could make in such a short space of time by, you know, accessing my audience and being able to sell to them, understanding remarketing ads, marketing ads, full stop, and all of these different things that, I kid you not, a year ago, I didn't have my online academy. We really? started it in two weeks' time. I would have had my online business a year. Oh, wow. Cool. And so, like, it's made a big impact to to your lifestyle, I'm assuming, because you're in the, yeah. the UK and now you're in Australia, you know? Yeah, so it's taken pressure off needing to necessarily travel to the seminars so much, like, and we definitely make a lot more money on online now, but it's been so, I guess this first year has been so much learning and having an understanding, because like I said, I was a complete dummy to all of this stuff. Now I understand the importance of, you know, 
getting an email list and trying to get my emails, email data from people. And we're, we're building a really good list now. I now send like probably three marketing emails, um, three to five up marketing emails a week where, you know, um, there's always a call to action in it, but I'm giving people different lengths, sometimes just value around something that's happened in my day or, that, you know, a real hyper technical one that people will learn something technically in. And that's something that I've learned a lot about too, because I was learning how to email market, market from my friend who runs a much more general fitness based academy. And he would write really quite funny emails or, you know, like lifestyle ones. And I was like, cool, I'll do the same. And my audience weren't picking on it like they were for him. And then I started writing more my own style stuff that was very um, weightlifting based or if you do this, you're going to lift more. And people started engaging and mm. started buying. And there's not just like a one set way that's going to suit all and you have got to play to your own audience. So just on, um, again, so many parts to that, which I want to go into, I'll try and keep them yeah, <laughs> no, as sure. possible. But um, because I've been subscribed to your email list now for a while and you you email yeah three to five times a week and they're all different stories that yeah. then lead to a call to action, but they're all different stories yeah. and it's certainly like your voice, right? Like, are you writing them personally every single day? Yeah. And it's just like a one-time thing. And it's basically like that day, I mean, written and sent off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you definitely, when I'm in the rhythm of doing them, like I don't find it hard to write each day. But I used to get, I've got terrible grammar and English skills. I'm dyslexic and terrible at spelling. And I was always worried about, you know, what I was writing down. And I was trying to conform to what I thought people needed to hear, which is why I feel like initially people thought it wasn't me writing them because it wasn't in my authentic manner that I speak and deliver video. And once I got over the fact that, you know, okay, it's all right to write fuck on an email, email marketing, if that's what <laughs> you would say. And say it on a podcast, it's yeah. totally fine. If, if that's <laughs> what you would say. And all of a sudden, people were connecting more with my stories and what I was putting out because I was being authentic with the way that I was writing. And it's I'm, I'm on an email marketing course at the moment that I'm learning, you know, how to be better at writing emails. And it seems a simple thing, but I can see my emails are getting better because I'm getting more replies. And I used to actually be like depressed if I'd spent a load of time writing this email and I'd open up my inbox in the morning and I didn't have one reply or one sale. And it's like, fuck, put so much time into that. Yeah. And that's that pain again, right? That's that pain of, it's not the same um, as not getting into the Olympics, right? But <laughs> it's still no. a pain. It's still, because this is like a thing that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners they face and they struggle with, right? Like you put all this effort into something and it just does nothing. Yeah. It just silence, you it's know, and it's just constant until you figure something out. Yeah. I'm finding it with YouTube at the moment. Like I've just started working with Adam yeah. um, to develop, you know, YouTube and t tap into that market mainly because we want to run Google and uh, YouTube ads over our own content. So we're starting to de develop like the, the channel that we've got there and give people more long-winded um, videos. But then... I've always found as well with with YouTube, the people that make a lot of money on there is because people get to watch you for up to 15, 20 minutes every day and they get to know you as a person. And you always want to spend 
money with someone that you feel you've got connection with or you know if i turn around to acting alex i'm selling this t-shirt he's going yeah he's a good guy i'll buy buy a (laughs) t-shirt off him you know and you have to kind of create that relationship with your followers as well and youtube's a um a great way to do it but you know we got adam on board now doing that yeah sure and so how how many hours a day are you spending on the business side of things? Because obviously you speak about like you're exercising still, but these days two to three hours a day, yeah. seven times a week mm-hmm. or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. But well, how much are you spending on the business side of things or are they just connected now? Yeah, no, I still feel like I'm definitely juggling. And I think it goes back to something that we mentioned Tony earlier about you feel like you want to constantly be the one doing everything and you've like I put off on doing YouTube for ages because I was like I need it to be perfect I need to be editing it da, 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 da. and instead I've gone right Adam I'll do it with you let's do a profit split we've both got skin in the game and you know if it goes well the time that you put into coming to video me and edit it is going to pay you out it's going to pay me out that's taken a shift off me that's going to make me money with my business partner we've got a profit split as well and you know the harder he works the more money he makes and and likewise so I started finally branching out and giving other people jobs that I didn't need to be doing and I still find that very difficult that I do want to reply to every email in the support whereas like I don't need to be wasting an hour a day replying to support emails when you know now we've got a girl April who will deal with people can't log in you know and it costs us like 150 dollars a, a week or something like that mm. that is like far cheaper than the value of my time and it took me a long time to get to that i think now i finally got into a routine where i need to train for my sanity and that's really important and that allows me to capture um, my content my videos for instagram that's going to get people talking and keeping me current and then i say i need to clear the support inbox which probably takes me about 20 minutes I then need to write a email, um, a marketing email, which, you know, today will be easy. I can write about the podcast or, you know, I could write about my training session earlier. So I'll do that. Write about the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there'll be something, a lesson or something that I can kind of throw in today around what what we learned or what I I went through today that I can still somehow tie back to a call to action. Mm. So there's definitely a set things that I like to do every day. But it kills me, Diana, because going back to like what you were saying about comparing yourself yep. to people, I still look at other people in my industry that are doing similar things, not necessarily direct, like competitors, but you go like, oh, it's 8 a.m. and this guy's already got up, he's done his live, he sent me in his marketing email <laughs> already and he's posted on Instagram, you're like, oh, I just got out of bed. So there's definitely that that you shouldn't get too wrapped up into. I think you have to have your own routine that fits around your lifestyle. So I try and work from my working hours are probably like from, I'd say seven until five, six, and that's including my training. Mm -hmm. And with that spare time, I'll spend time on developing the academy. So developing more content to put online. And that's the thing that I think recently I've been missing out on because you have this great content and after a while people want more and if you don't give them more, they're bored. They'll go see someone else for that more. Absolutely. I, I love the Sunny Webster Academy. I love this story. Your story is about perseverance and belief. That's what your business really is. Yeah, you've just sure. You've believed in yourself, doubted every now, but you've persevered for that goal. I want to know what's the future for you and your business? I think going going forward now, like for me, my biggest goal 
has always been to leave the sport and the space that I'm in in a better space than I found it. And personal goals of mine was always to make the sport more accessible, fun for people to use as a training tool. So that's a massive goal of mine. Um, I've now shifted my focus. We've set up a charity called Lifting Dreams, uh, where I'm developing, building gyms in deprived areas. So our first project's in May, and we're building a gym in Soweto for these kids that are currently training in the rubble in an absolute terrible part of South Africa. And that's a huge project. That's extremely daunting for me because I didn't know the first thing about building a gym in a different country or running a charity full stop. And that's definitely something that I want to venture more in. I want to have, you know, get the academy to a point where we've got thousands of people learning from the content that we're putting online. Um, I still selfishly love to travel to deliver my seminars to work with people face to face. Um, We're running retreats in Bali where, you know, I take people away teaching a weightlift, but I also show them how to have fun with it as well. So we take them out for beers. We take them to show them fun things as well. So yeah, I'm kind of putting my sort of stamp on the, the, the space, I guess, the weightlifting lifting space. Um, and yeah, who knows where it will go. I definitely have um, other, I don't see that being my only revenue stream um, going forward. I want to develop the, um, the clothing line alongside what I'm doing with my sport and apparel thing, not only just in the sports space as well, but in the more like mainstream um, stuff. And yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm open to investing, get involved in new projects that excite me. But one of the hardest things is is time. So, yeah, I mean, I have so many more questions. What do you do to manage your time? Like, How do you, you know, because obviously you've got all these things, you're yeah. starting to work with other people, you know, like, you know, kind of, what are some of the things which you're struggling with or which you're kind of figuring out is the best way to approach your days, approach your weeks? Yeah, I think, you know, the other day when you invited me on the podcast and you sent me a Google reminder in the diary, and I was we like, learned that the hard way. By I was way. Like, Damn, that's organized. <laughs> and I don't even have like a, a set diary that you know I follow by. I use sometimes my thing on my my time management. And if I opened up my laptop now in my bag, and you saw what my desktop looked like, it is. <laughs> I'm looking at Tony right yeah. now too. It's not so Yeah, but it like I it worries me a bit because I always think I know there's things that I need to do better in terms of managing you know where things are saved the time productivity a calendar um, not wasting time scrolling through Instagram and um, I think that's definitely something that I need to improve on I just try and set myself one or two key goals for each day and if I achieve that then in their spare time then I'll start something else but that's gold just have simple simple goals and that's the same way I approach my training Alex like I don't try and go in and do five exercises and rush through them in an hour if I've got one day to achieve one goal and I do it really well and I've executed it that's probably better than if I go in with this huge list that leaves me five minute gaps in between each thing and I rush through a load of shit mm. you know can I ask a question do you still do you still hang out with Jeff yeah I speak to him every single day really? and you know I use he still helps me with all of my finances my accounts um, business planning everything you know so he, yeah, he's, a, he's a massive part of you know what I do for sure 
Yeah, that's so nice to hear because like normally you hear mentors come and go, but it sounds like Jeff's been there all the way, you know, from this kid that goes, hey, who's Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> Give me 500 pounds. You, go, yeah. you know what you should have said? It was the, the 2020 Olympics you were going to. Yeah. 2016, that's what I would have carried it for. Yeah, well, it was meant to be just a 2012, so I got an extra four years out of him. But no, it's, um, I think definitely people... Um, should have mentors or should have people that they have, even if it's just to to bounce ideas off of from the outside. I was speaking to Alex the other day. That's definitely something that I want to spend time with speaking to him about because I know there's so much, what I'm doing is great and it's growing, mm. but there's things that I could do better. And it's not getting disheartened by that. I think the first part of it all is recognizing it and then just rather than trying to get everything sorted in one go, one thing at a time mm. and it's patience and I think I don't know if it's just me but I want everything to be better now and I want oh, I'm know. super patient aren't I Tony oh, look, I'm like <laughs> the most patient person look at Adrian looking at me going geez what a, what a dude yeah. just one more question because yeah. um, I just because this was one before and this is something which I just want to know as well now um, you said before about content creation yeah like and if anyone um, like, actually has a look at the profile on Instagram and also on um the YouTube channel, but especially on Instagram, you pump out content mm -hmm. every single day. You've got 10 to 20 stories. Yeah, at least to every two, day. At least every day and one to two posts. But yeah. before you said you want to spend time on production. Yeah. So like, like are you actively producing everything as goes? I, as I go, yeah. Yeah. It's, so what does kind of the setup look like? Is it just a camera? Like, you know. Okay, yeah. so. What's the setup look like? I've got a really good tip as well, which I want to say before I forget it. Yeah. Do not be scared to recycle content because, you know, that's something, if you spend time in creating something that's great and you post out, say I've got 220,000 followers from all over the world. I post it at 6 p.m. The people in Australia see it and that's great. And sometimes maybe some people in the UK, but America is sleeping. And therefore that could be maybe 20% of my followers, even more, like say my post reaches half of my following. Great, that's half your followers. That's 100,000 people that haven't seen that post. Mm. So I think first of all, never be scared to repost something or reproduce something again. Sometimes my, in terms of my setup of filming my videos for a long time, it was, it was just my phone. Um, I now do have a nice camera and my, in producing a video, I'll always find a nice, well-lit space. Um, audio's audio, only 70% of, uh, less than 70% of, sorry, let me get this right. 70% of Instagram is watched without the sound on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for the longer winded stuff, having good audios, great. So getting a road filmmaker set, um, spending time uh, putting your, um, videos through Rev to subtitle. That's something I still don't do yet, but it's definitely when we're talking about Yeah, we what, use that service yeah, here too. It's great. Yeah, what I need one to cent do per to, word. Yeah, yeah, but what I need to do to improve the content that I put out, well, I'd, I'd subtitle it mm. if I could make it better. Um, I edit mainly myself through Video Leap because the importance of getting it is that on your quick. phone? That yeah, that? I edit on my phone. phone. It, blows, app, it right? blows people's minds because they've got a fancy laptop, nice camera, and then I basically take it off my camera, <laughs> put it on my phone in like the highest resolution, and then down res it and cut it through on video leap because it's it's quick. Yeah, you know, I've I've got Final Cut Pro, all these fancy editing softwares that are extremely difficult to yeah. use unless you know what you're doing. Right. That for me, it's speed and 
I know a lot of people will try and keep unity in the content that they post. So everything's the same and the colors fit. Do not worry about that because the only person who cares about that is you. Yeah, for yeah, sure. That's your own OCD. I will mix around fonts, text, formats in size just to play with it, yeah. you know, and it keeps keeps things guessing then. And, you know, you'll end up capturing someone that wouldn't normally look at your post because they just see something that doesn't look like your post. And, you know, for me, it's mixing up, not worrying too much um, about it. So, yeah, I'd say... And personal to professional, because you share a lot of personal stuff as well as professional stuff, right? And that, mm. again, you know, just mm. this is a conversation I've had with Tony, right? Like, you know, people are just scared to be themselves, to show the real stuff, you know? So, yeah. But I see, You've got to especially with your stuff, you show a lot of <laughs> kind of like raw, authentic, because personal stuff. How, how many people in the world can relate to lifting 180 kilos above their head? 0.01%. How many people can relate to going to the gym after a weekend on the booze and it's sucking? Sixty <laughs> percent. Great odds are good, you know. And when you have those relatable things for people to relate to, that's when, like I said at the start, people will start spending money and investing in you because yeah. you're you're approachable and you know you start drawing things that you've got in common with people, and then you're not all of a sudden this expert Olympian with all these followers, you're a very normal person that has a skill set that can be accessed very easily. Mm. And that's the kind of approach that you want to, for me, that I try, I'm still working on. I've got so much, so much to learn. That's good. And just, um, just to put everything into context for people, how old are you? 25. Yeah, it's 25 years old. So that's, um, that's something, but you've managed to achieve what I'm still trying to figure out is kind of how do I make money on autopilot, you know, from far away and travel, you know, I still, um, I've told Adrian this a few times so that that was kind of how I've gotten into this space, you know, mm. and, um, I still haven't achieved that thing, but I've achieved some other things, right? Yeah, but it's <laughs> but like you've achieved something pretty damn awesome, you know, at a pretty young age. So, I mean, you've got, you know, quite a long way to go still, you know, you zigzag, but I even still see people that are, a year or two years younger than me that probably making more money and you know that that frustrates you I'm like damn yeah, that's what you don't want to compare yourself that's to what you don't want to compare yourself <laughs> to yeah. because I was listening to this podcast today this um, millionaire and um, he didn't start his business until he was 30 so I'm like well shit I've got a bit of a head start I'll probably by the time I get to 30 be in a better position than I am now you know um, how many people are going to be just be hating on you right now <laughs> just because you've achieved so much success already at 25 um, but yet you still, um, it's still just the beginning for it's you. It's just you know the beginning. I mean? And you still feel like you haven't, right? No, That's exactly. what it sounds like talking to you right now. Yeah, you. it's just, you're enjoying the, enjoying the process of learning and not getting frustrated. And I'm excited to what, what's come next. Yeah, what, what's success look like for you? Um, I think it's definitely shifted for me now, what I deem as success. There's different values that I've got now. I was ways you thought you could deem success by having, you know, 10 million in the bank account. But, you know, experience for me now is so much more valuable um, than I ever realized. Um, all the time to travel, to spend times and share experience more than anything. I spent so much of my life traveling and experiencing all these amazing things that I don't want to share it with. So for me now, that's definitely a, a very important value as I deem a successful trait of something that I'd want. I think, 
you know, you can only get that if you're successful in, in your business and it work for you mm. and make money, make you more money. So, you know, you get to put energy into the things that excite you and, you know, ultimately giving back now and changing other people's lives. I was very lucky to have met Jeff and he helped me achieve my dream. Now I want to see if I can do something else and I want to be the one that, you know, help someone else achieve their dream because it doesn't matter how much money you've got that feeling i'm sure is priceless you know awesome mate you have been so inspirational to talk to and i love it that you've given your time today because i know you're a very busy person <laughs> no, you, are, you really so. are mate it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board so thank you thank so you much. both yeah thank thanks you so it's been a good chat cheers thanks for listening to the growth manifesto podcast if you enjoyed this episode please head on over to itunes and give us a five-star rating For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast.